We're going to open up our Bibles to Hebrews 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to open up your Bible to Hebrews 11. But if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one underneath the seat you're sitting in. There's a blue Bible down there. Uh, Hebrews 11. Uh, in the blue Bible, we're going to be on page 1110. 1110. 1110 in the blue Bible. Hebrews 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 this morning. Um, and we've been in Hebrews all summer long here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, we've been walking through this unbelievable uh, work, um, this unbelievable sermon that was preached uh, to, to a Jewish Christian audience in Rome a very long time ago. And this morning we have a special treat. My, my good friend, Tom Hudzina, um, is, is here this morning, all the way from, from uh, Westchester, well, I guess Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. Uh, is here, here this morning to, to bring us into the Word. Tom, Tom is the lead pastor at Liberty Church in Newtown Square. And Tom um, is a big reason. He is probably he's the reason uh, that I'm here this morning. Um, when I, between The summer between my junior and senior year of college, uh, I was not walking with Jesus. I did not have a relationship with Jesus. I did not want to be in ministry. I was never going to be a pastor. That was not even on the radar for my life, and some friends of mine suckered me on go, to going on a summer-long missions trip. Uh, and long story short, I ended up going to North Africa, um, and there was a with all these kids from Penn State. I didn't go to Penn State. Wasn't a part of Penn State. Didn't know anybody from Penn State. And I went with all these kids from Penn State. And the in the there was a husband and wife who who led this trip. And it was Tom Zena and his wife Danae. Danae will be here. She's, she'll be at our next gathering um, this morning. And all summer long, I listened to Tom and some other college kids share the gospel again and again and again and again. Long story short, it's a very long story, a short version. By the end of that summer, I said, I want to do what Tom does for the rest of my life. That's it. I, I, I want J Jesus as king, and I'm going to live my life as though he's king, and I'm going to do what Tom does for the rest of my life. And so uh, the next year, I signed up to, be, to go on staff with the same ministry that Tom was a part of at Penn State University. And I, and I went to Penn State University to be a part of this thing, and Tom left. He went to Westchester University because he's a punk. Um, but I still love him. I still love him. And he's been here all week. We've been having fun. And so I'm going to invite Tom up. For, first, I'm going to read the word for us uh, this morning. So this year at Flourishing Grace, we believe this is the word of God. Um, it's, it's a gift from him uh, to us. And so if you are able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens, and as many as innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers in exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Josh. Love you, man. I'm excited about what God's doing here in the family of Flourishing Grace. I come out here every year to go camping, and so uh, my family, this year we decided to go on vacation, so my family left Friday uh, to join us, and so I was like, you know, I knew preemptively that when I was going to be here that I was going to need Josh and Desiree to house my three sons, Jack, Jesse, and Daniel, 16, 14, and 12, and so I knew that the amount of food, the amount of wash that we would need to do, and the amount of housing, the amount of driving that I would need Josh to provide for us, the least I could do was give him a Sunday where I could offer up my services to just bless you and bless, bless the family, and, and hopefully that's payment enough. We haven't destroyed too much in his home, but I do know the pile of laundry is already piling up, so I'm grateful for Josh and uh, the ministry that he has here. And for you guys, hearing about what God is doing is exciting. It really is exciting to uh, be uh, someone who's been able from the outside looking in to what God has started here and is continuing to do with Flourishing Grace. It really is a, uh, a testimony to God's faithfulness. You know, my family and I, we love uh, to wakeboard. There's a lake in central Pennsylvania called Racetown Lake. It's a dammed up river. It's 35 miles long, and it wiggles this way and that way, and, and it is, ends and terminates at a, at a dam that has about a 200-foot depth, and all the way up the river, or what is now what's called Racetown Lake, are different areas where you can go and you can fish and you can wakeboard and you can cliff jump and you can uh, rope swing. And uh, there are different coves and different channels. You know, when, when you dam up a, a river, it just kind of backs up into the different valleys that were uh, there before the lake even existed. And when you get to these different coves, you see the, the beauty of the forest around you. And so sometimes the, 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 the water below is murky and it's nasty with all different trees and different muck and nasty fish that just swim around you. Other spots, they're beautifully uh, laid out uh, coves with shale underneath, and it creates this blue, green, emeraldish kind of color, and it makes you just feel like this is incredible. It's one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth, I think, next to Utah, right? Yeah. So uh, we uh, boat around the, uh, the lake, and one of the areas that we love the most is, is a small channel that's right before the dam. It's about mile two, and you have to go from the place that we dropped the boat off in mile eight, and we, we boat all the way down to the end of the dam, and before we get to the dam, this final curve, which is this beautiful cliff of rock and trees around you, there's this little cove that you pull off into, and we throw an anchor out. Any boaters here? Anybody that like to boat? Yes? Can I get an amen? Yes, boaters? How about rock climbers? Anybody rock climbing, scaling a rock? Any, any uh, f- uh, 400 meter relay people? There's, was anybody the anchor runner of their, yeah, you? Yeah, really? All right, okay, man. Uh, the Olympics are going, you know what an anchor is, right? An anchor is something that fixes something to a permanent point. 
the anchor and the relay is the, the one who's the fastest. You can depend upon them to do the same time the, every time that they run. When you're rock climbing, you have an anchor you anchor into it so that if you were to perhaps fall off the face of the cliff, you are going to be held to a rope that's anchored in and it's not going to budge. Well, with a boat, you anchor into the bottom of the lake because you want to stay in a particular area. And for us, when we anchor into this particular area, we finally get the anchor, we throw it out, and it roots itself into uh, the bottom of the lake, and you pull and you pull until you feel that it doesn't budge anymore. And then you tie the rope or the chain to the boat, and you can get out of the boat, and you can swim. And the boat will move around as the wind pushes it, but as long as it's anchored to the bottom of the lake, it's not going to move very far. And so when we're talking about being people of faith, when you're thinking about uh, what it is that this sermon, the, 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 the pastor, the preacher of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, preaching to a people who are uh, anchored into Christ. They've decided to leave the, the ways of, of the Moses uh, sacrificial uh, process, the tradition, the temple, the priests, the having to slaughter an animal over and over and over again for the, for the forgiveness of sins, for the atonement of sins. They've decided that they've anchored themselves into Christ. And now what is going on is they're nervous that they have anchored into the wrong thing. As persecution comes, as suffering comes, they're wondering whether or not it's worth it or whether or not they've made the right decision. Have you ever been there where you, you, you've anchored yourself into a mortgage or you've anchored yourself into a job or you've, you've committed yourself to something, trusting that there's going to be a positive outcome and you've, you, you have a moment of, uh-oh, right? Oh, no. Hopefully none of you are in a relationship right now where you're like, yeah, that's, that's uh-oh, you know, that's a bad sign. You've anchored yourself to someone. You've anchored yourself to something. And here these Jewish believers have anchored themselves into Christ. And I love how the, the writer of Hebrews uses Abraham as an example because Abraham is a man just like us. He's filled with flaws. And if you know the story of Abraham, what the, the Jewish listeners here would have known that Abraham was a man that did not live a life full of perfection. He didn't make the right decision every time. But yet it says that Abraham was considered righteous before God because he had faith. Now, in the last few weeks, you've heard from Austin and Josh, and I've been able to listen through the sermons and talk about what is the object of our faith. What is, how does that work out in our lives? What, how do you know that you're living a life of faith? What is faith? Faith in the beginning in chapter 11, if you look real again, again, now faith is the reality of what? It is the assurance, the reality of what is hoped for. Hope is something that we look forward. We, we, we're hoping that something will be given to us. But the definition of Christian hope is actually not something that we think might happen. Actually, the word hope here is a definite assurance, a reality. I will receive it, but I can't see it. I don't have it now. That's the theme of this entire sermon is that hold on, endure. You've anchored yourself into the right and good thing, Christ Jesus our Lord. If you look at the previous chapters, which... In, in fact, when you read the whole book, you get more of a context. It's meant to be a, an understanding, a logical understanding of Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus' blood covers us all. And that's why when he gets to this portion, he gives an example of all of the lives of the men and women who have decided that when they've anchored themselves into Christ, that they've anchored themselves into something that is sure. It is a reality. But it's not just that Christ is the reality. He is a real Man, he is a real 
person. He is the God incarnate that came in the flesh. It's not just that we believe that Christ existed. It is what Christ has done and accomplished for us that is the thing that we believe in. Our faith, Christian faith, Christian faith is anchoring ourselves into the belief and the reality that there will be a resurrection. The resurrection is the flow of thought here, that these believers are not suffering in vain, that what they've received is something that will happen, which is the resurrection of your body and of your soul. If you look real briefly with me above verse 1 of chapter 11 into chapter 10, verse 39, in the context, the, the, the pastor says, don't throw away your confidence in verse 35 which has great reward, your confidence in Christ. You need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Well, what was promised? Uh, Yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and he will not delay. My righteous one will live by faith. If he draws back, I will have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And that's when he moves into the sermon. He says, let me give you a few examples of what that looks like. And so this morning, when we, when we think about anchoring our lives into, or better yet, when we think about faith, think about that is an anchor, an anchor that is connected to something that will draw us through life no matter how many times we drift. When you anchor a boat and the wind comes, it just, it just moves along. It just moves and it, and it kind of blows, and, and, and you can find your way back to the boat easily if you understand that it's not going to blow like half a mile down. When we don't anchor our boat at Racetown, there's a wind that comes. The boat just keeps drifting and drifting, and we realize, we look around, we are, we are, further, we are further away from where we wanted to be. In the same way, if we don't anchor ourselves in the work of Christ and in Christ alone, if we don't anchor ourselves in this life, in something that will happen in the future, we are in danger of drifting. And what does that look like? Well, in verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 8, he begins to go through the story of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. What was the calling? He says, go up, Abraham, in chapter 12 of Genesis. We won't turn there, but the story of Abraham is go from the land that you are living in, the one that you're used to, the, where all your family's at. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to promise I'm going to give it to you in your family, and then I'm also going to give you a son. And the importance of having a son was rooted to the inheritance that you would give. Because if you don't have a firstborn son, if, if you don't have someone to give all of your earnings to, if you've, you've worked all of your life and you've amassed wealth and you have no one to give it to, guess who it goes to? It goes to the next of kin or it goes to the, the ones around who just divide up your, your wealth and give it out. But if you can keep it in your family, if you, can, if you can give that blessing over and over and over again to the family, the inheritance was rooted in and anchored to the firstborn son. And so God says, Abram, I'm going to make you someone who is going to not only pass an inheritance onto the firstborn of your seed, I'm going to give an inheritance to innumerable amounts of people that you can't count, that is going to be a blessing. And so Abraham, he responds to that call and he obeys. And so the writer of Hebrews says, by faith Abraham, when he was called, when he was given this, he obeyed and he set out for a place. That's what faith does. Faith begins you on a journey, it moves you. Abraham's faith said, I trust God at his word, and so I'm going to move. And so sometimes faith causes us to go. 
Sometimes because we've rooted ourselves in believing God's word that God has said to us, trust my son, Jesus. Trust the work of Jesus. Trust the words that Jesus has taught us. The reason we preach the scriptures, the reason we use this as our authority is because we want to hear what Jesus has said. Because Abraham is not thinking about Jesus when he hears the call. You realize that, right? This list of men and women, none of them were thinking about Jesus. They weren't, they weren't thinking about the work that Jesus would do. The reason we are able to look at these men and women is because we look back through the cross. We look back and we say, oh, yeah, Abraham. The, the, this preacher is saying, yeah, Abraham did this because we know what Christ has taught us. And, and Jesus said all of the scriptures, beginning with Moses. Do you remember his walk with the disciples on the Emmaus Road after he had resurrected from the dead? The, dis, the disciples were walking and they were sad-faced and they're like, we thought this guy was going to be the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And he said, oh, you of little what? Faith. You've not anchored yourself in the words in which I said to you that I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I told you that I must suffer. And so beginning with Moses and going all the way through the prophets, he says, he says see this? This was about me. This was about me. Enoch, about me. Abel, about me. Abraham, about me. Sarah, about me. David, about me. Every prophet that suffered, about me, 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 me. The only person in the world that is able to say it's all about me is Jesus because it's not about us. That's what we think. We think it's just about me and what God should do for me. And if I have enough uh, faith, which is the wrong way to think, if I have enough faith, I can conjure up these things that are, that are going to be beneficial to me. That's not the biblical faith. That's not Christian faith. That's not Christ-centered faith. The faith that we're talking about here is what is it that we believe about Christ and about the blood shed by Christ and about the work that is accomplished for us, for, for our future, the resurrection? So Jesus, after he resurrects, he says, you know, Abraham was one of those men who lived by faith. He obeyed. He went out. And even though he did not know where he was going, he went because he trusted God. Verse 9, look with me real there, right there quickly. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. So he's, he's by faith going, and then by faith he's what? He's staying. Sometimes faith moves us to go to places that we believe that God has called us to go because we know what Christ wants for us. But sometimes it calls us to stay right where we're at. Have you ever stayed somewhere where you believe, if I stay here, this, this, this doesn't feel right, but because I trust Christ, because I trust him, I'll stay. I'll, I'll, I'll stay here. It's a little bit crazy because sometimes he says, should I, should I go? It's like, uh, uh, should I stay or should I go now, right? You, some of you are thinking that, right? Now you're forever going to think that. Uh, that song is going to be seared into your head. Should I stay or should I go? That's our question. Lord, should I do this? Should I do that? And faith isn't something that we say, okay, I'm going to have faith and I'm just going to go blindly because I think this is going to work out. That's not the motivation what the author is talking about here, the preacher, faith is saying, okay, I trust what Christ has done for me, so everything else that I do, everything else that I do is no big deal, because if I've trusted Christ, I've trusted him with my body and my soul, with all of my life, and therefore, if I can trust him with this, then I can stay, I can go. And if we follow the story, we see that in verse 11, by faith, even Sarah Sarah was unable to have children. But look, it says that she what? She received the power to conceive offspring. She had to receive something external to herself. She was unable to produce life herself. 
And But she believed what God had told her husband, and her husband said, trust me, he, he, God has promised us with this. But they didn't always trust God, did they? One of the ways in which they drifted was they decided to take things in their own hand. And Sarah says, tell you what, Abraham, you take my maidservant, my, my, my female maidservant, you just have a child with, with her. And Abraham was like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. Are you sure you're okay with this? And uh, she says, go for it. But then what happens is he just listens to his wife, and it just all goes to uh, disaster because what happens is jealousy and strife and envy and conflict comes. And then you have Ishmael born, and Ishmael and his mom are sent away, and there's heartache and there's broken. And that is exactly what happens when we decide to trust our own guts instead of trusting what Christ has commanded us, Right? We've made decisions and it followed, we followed that path and was like, man, we've drifted. We, we've drifted and we, we're not where we want to be and this is not what I thought would happen. But faith, faith, the, the absolute concrete conviction that Christ has said, what he has said is true, it brings us back, it can bring us back to the point with which we want to be because we're anchored into him, Right? So what happens with Abraham and Sarah is that Abraham and Sarah are able to respond in such a way that they, God doesn't abandon them because they make a poor decision. What God does is he says, I, I told you that I would, I would produce a son. Do you believe me or not? And they said, yes, we do. And that is, the gracious, that is the gracious kindness of our God. That over and over and over and over and over and over again, we make poor decisions, don't we? We make decisions to, to go this way or that way, and sometimes things fall apart, and sometimes we're let down, but yet at the end of the day, God never uses that as an excuse to let us go. The anchor is secure in him. He doesn't, he doesn't say, Abraham, Sarah, done, you're finished. He says, no, are you ready? Are you ready to go where I'm, I've called you to go? Are you ready to, to listen and to trust? And by faith they did, and by faith they were still anchored into the, the word of God. They trusted God. They, they were able to go. They were able to stay. And then as Sarah sees the fruit of God's faithfulness, she produces a son. Abraham has Isaac. And finally, this son that was promised to them, look up at verse 17. He was tested. The story goes that Abraham hears the voice of God again. Abraham was 75 when he heard the first call of God. Then he waits 25 years. He's finally 100, and then he has a son he waits 100 years to have a son, a firstborn son, and then right at that time, God says, hey, I want you to do something for me. I want you to give up your son, your only son. I want you to bind him and put him on an altar, and I want you to slit his throat and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And the text here says that looking back, it says that Abraham was tested. He offered up Isaac. He put him on the altar. He did everything that he was told to do, and he received the promises. He received the promise of God. Here it is. This is what God, you promised me, and so what he does is at the end of his, his life of living, making mistake after mistake after mistake, but yet being anchored into God, God finally brings him to a point of maturity where finally Abraham says, look, if, I had, if, I trusted, if, if I've trusted you thus far, you saved us from sure destruction in Egypt when I lied and I tried to cover the fact up that Sarah was my, not my wife, but my sister, and that became a mess. And then I tried to, I tried to do this with her, maid, her maidservant. I tried to have an offspring in my own way, and that was a mess. And then I tried to uh, fix things in my, my life, and that was a mess. And then this was a mess. And then over and over and over again, slowly, uh, the trust in God begins to get stronger and stronger and stronger, so much so 
that when Abraham is asked to give the promise up to let go, and say, I'm, okay, all right, I let go, here you go. And the, 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 the pastor, the preacher here, the writer of Hebrews is looking back and he says, he says, and he reminds the Jews that are listening right there, the believers, he says in verse 18, the one to whom it has been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. That the offspring that was promised that Isaac would have many, like Isaac was just one kid, but the promise was that there would be millions of them, like the stars and like the sand. And the commentary here is that he considered in verse 19 that God was going to be able to raise the dead. He says to Isaac, he says, Isaac, well, actually, Isaac says, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? I don't see a sacrifice. And, says, and he says to him, he says, God will provide the sacrifice. Just trust him. Just trust me. He's anchored himself into the word of God that God has said, Abraham, I've called you to something, and it is going to happen. And now he's received that promise, and now he's got to let go. So faith sometimes causes us. If we're anchored in God, will ask us to trust him that will cause us to stay. He will ask us to trust him that will cause us to go. He will cause us to trust him to let go of things that we thought we needed to hold on to. But all of this, all of this, even though he considered that God would be able to raise someone from the dead, and he did receive him back from the dead because Isaac wasn't sacrificed. The ram was provided. Something else was provided. And he exchanged the ram for his son. And this is where we have to understand in the context that when the writers of the scripture are writing, they're writing to, for a purpose. They want you to understand something. So the flow of this chapter is this person and this person, Abel, offered up an, a, a sacrifice to God and it was received to him and it was counted as righteous. But Cain, his was rejected and then we see Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and he was no more, and he was with God. And Abraham and Sarah walked by faith. And all of these people, all of these people did things that were layers of Jesus Christ. We look back and we say, all of these people are meant for you to see the images of Jesus over and over again. Not in its fullness, but these, these different pictures, these illustrations, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who's received. He offers up himself as a sacrifice, and it's received by God. He walked with God perfectly, and he ascended to God. He's the one who laid himself down on the altar, and that's the one that he's the sacrifice that was provided for. And most importantly, church, that Christ was risen from the dead, and he now reigns because what we, ha what we see here is we go all the way down to 39. Look with me at verse 39. You're going to need your Bible for this. In verse 39, it says, all of them were approved. All of them were counted righteous. Because the pastor, and I hope I'm not blowing up somebody's future sermon, but the point of this is central to the fact that you are to remember that Jesus Christ has been a better sacrifice. That's the whole front end of Hebrews. But now all of these people who live by faith that anchored themselves into Christ and his work, look, all of these people were approved. When Josh read verse 13 that these all died in faith, that goes backwards. These are all of the people who died in the assurance that what God had said was reality. And what is the promise of the call of God through Christ? What is our faith in? Jesus says, repent and believe that I am the son of God and you will have eternal life. All of these people were approved for their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. What was promised? What is the one thing that is promised? A successful life? Because all of these people had 
varying degrees of successful life. Abraham had a rich, full life, and he passed on a blessing to Isaac of a fruitful inheritance, but others were sawn in two. That, to me, seems like a precarious situation that I don't want to find myself in. Some were enslaved, some were mocked, some were put in jail, some had a good life, some had a bad life, but most of them all, they suffered because they trusted God, but God said, you have a promise that is going to be way better than your life circumstances now. Since God, verse 40, had provided something better for us, he's speaking to the church, he said, God has provided something better for us so that they would, they, everyone in the back, would not be made perfect without us. What is that promise? What is the perfection? What is the one thing that we're to anchor our trust in? It's only one thing. Everything else is easy compared to this. The one thing that we're to anchor our life in is the word of promise that God has said, your body and your soul will not be succumbed to death permanently. You will rise again alive. Now, talk about an impossibility. Is it impossible to get that job that you think you're, the, you're the, like the last finalist? Is it, is it really that impossible to think that maybe things might line up and you could get that job? I just had enough faith and I got that job. I just had enough faith and I procured this circumstance. I didn't have enough faith for this. That's not what the biblical faith is. The biblical faith is, do you trust your body and your soul to the eternal hands of God? When we go before him in glory, what is it that we're anchored in? Are we anchored in our own works? Are we anchored in our own righteousness, which is to be made right with God? I mean, imagine if you've grown up in a system that said, unless you do these things, you will not please God. That was the Jewish situation. That was, are you telling me that if I don't go to the temple and I don't have, the high priest doesn't shed the blood once a year. You, are you telling me that if he, if I don't go there and I'm not, if that bull isn't shed his blood and it's sprinkled and I'm not atoned for it. You're telling me that if I trust Christ and never again have to go to the temple or trust the high priest to atone for my sin, you're telling me that that is going to get me right before God, that I'm going to stand before him and he'll be like, you're perfect, you're righteous. Why am I righteous? I I didn't go to temple. I didn't do this. I didn't believe this. I didn't believe that. I only believed that Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and life. That's all that I believed in. His work, his death, his resurrection. You're telling me that I'm righteous because of that? Because I'm sinless, that I'm perfect, that I'm, 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 I'm completely spotless before him? Absolutely. That's what you anchor your soul into. And you're telling me that when I die, because I will die, I may die this week on vacation. We're going down to, uh, I'm taking my boys up on Angel's Landing. Has anybody been to Angel's Landing? I may fall off either side and die to my death. That would, that would, be, that would be terrible. I could, I could die any moment, any day. We're all going to die. The assurance of things unseen. One thing that we've all seen is that everyone dies eventually. Right? Can we agree on that? Have you ever seen anyone buried, dead, and risen from the grave, fully alive, glorious, and perfect in their, their body? Has anybody seen that? This 
is the assurance of the thing that you have not seen. It is not the things that have not happened yet. I have seen 44 years of my life. I'm 44. I've just disclosed that to you. I know I look like I'm 27, but, you know, I am 44. I've seen my life. What I haven't seen is 44 to whatever. But I, ha- I, can, I can guess what will happen. I'll get older. My kids will get older. I can, with varying degrees of accuracy, I can tell you financially where I may or may not be. I can, I can base my future upon my past based upon the trajectory. I can, I can kind of guess where I'm going to be. What I can't see is when I'm dead and what happens after that. I can only believe what I've been told. And there are many teachers of religious faith that say, hey, you should believe me for this. This is what I've been told, and this is what will happen. No, 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 no. This is what's been told. This prophet said this, and you should believe him, because this is, and this is how you do it. No, 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 no. I read this book, and this person wrote this, and this is the way to life. No, 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 no. It's this. It's this way. There's not a lack of ways to, to, to live life, and there is also not a lack of theories about what will happen after we die. But there is one man, and one man only, who came and said, I am the very son of God. There's only one man who, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, that a voice came, and so much so that it shook people's, they they heard a voice that says, this is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. He's the only man who said, when you see the Father, you see me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Repent, turn from your ways, believe in me. I am the resurrection. I am the promise of resurrection and new life. Because my father, the God, the creator of heaven and earth, he loved the world, and this is how he loved the world. John in his gospel says, for God loved the world this way, that he gave his only son, that who would ever what, believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. How do we know? If I'm going to throw an anchor, how do I know that my life is going to stick to a promise? How do I know that I'm anchored? I know that I'm anchored into Christ because... I have trusted him with my soul and my body. If everything that he has said is true, that I am responsible for every act of rebellion against God, my creator, and that I will pay for them, that a holy and righteous God has no choice but to be just. If he is good and righteous and holy, then he has, he has, no, he has no option but to punish sin for what it is, wickedness and unrighteousness, which is found in me. And if I stand before God and I say to him, I have these things that are good and I have these things that are bad, can you just overlook this? And he says, no, I can't overlook this. I can't even overlook this one thing. But what Christ has done is said, tell you what, if you'll trust me, I've paid for all of it. I've paid for all of it. Anchor yourself into me. The faith, the Christian faith that is given to us is the ability to anchor ourselves in something we've not seen. We've not seen the judgment. We've not seen our our death. We've not seen what will happen after that. We've just been told that, yes, you can trust Christ 
and his payment for your sin will consider yourself righteous. And then at the right time, you will be raised to new life. And this body of yours will be given perfection and you will stand before God and your soul and your body will be reunited and will live in eternity in a world that exists full of goodness and flourishing and right and good things that we can enjoy physically, but also there will be an eradication of sin and wickedness and rebellion. That is the anchor of faith. That's it. That is the Christian faith. And so a life of faith is sometimes deciding to, to stay, sometimes it's deciding to go, sometimes it's saying to let go, but ultimately, living a life of Christian faith is, is always, it doesn't matter what we do, it is always believing one thing, believing that the resurrection is true, that Christ has risen from the dead. And if we believe that and we trust him, then we are anchored, that our faith is true. So here, I'm going to give you one question for life. So when you go through life, Here's the question I'd ask myself often. Well, if I can trust Christ with my body and soul, that I, that I know that if I die, that I've, I've put all my cards, I've pushed all in, I'm, I'm all in. There's nothing else. I'm not believing in this. I'm not trusting this man. I'm not trusting teaching. I'm trusting Christ. And that orients me to everything. If, if I can trust him with this, then I can trust him with my job. I can trust him with my spouse. And it may not come out the way that I thought, which is the purpose of Hebrews 11. It did not go the way they thought it would go. Church, it's not going the way that you thought it would go in the first century, that Jesus is still not coming back. He's not back yet. But yet we have to endure. And the book will follow and will say, we are people that endure. How do we endure? We endure by trusting that Christ, if Christ can raise me from the dead, then he can provide this job. But even if he doesn't, I've got a better thing. I can trust Christ for this relationship, but even if this relationship doesn't work out the way that I thought, I can trust Christ because I'm going to be raised body and soul. I can trust Christ with my finances, but even if I'm poor and destitute, I have the better thing that I've been given a promise. And so what I believe faith is as a, an image is the anchor is in Christ, but that chain that roots us to it pulls us through history. And if we anchor and if we if we're anchored into Christ that we are on that chain, he is moving us through history to the very end and that anchor will never budge. That anchor will never budge. The problem is sometimes we we can choose to lift the anchor up and put it in other things. That's the danger. The, the, this, this book is about don't lift the anchor. Keep your anchor in Christ. Don't give up. Endure. Keep going through life. That anchor stays because it will never budge if you don't budge it. If we, put our, if we put our trust in other things, we're in danger of anchoring ourselves to something that is not sure. It's not reality. There is only one reality. Christ is the only true, real God, incarnate, risen from the dead, Witnesses saw him, they proclaim him, we proclaim him this day, and that is the Christian faith. That is the anchor. That is what Abraham trusted, that is what Sarah trusted, that is what everyone else up until now must trust in. So as we, as we f just finish up, I want to I wanna give you a few things, four things that, how do you know if you're living a life of Christian faith? That's, so listen to this, how do you know, how do you how do you self-evaluate and say, here, here are some things. How do I know that I'm trusted in Christ, that I'm anchored in Christ? Well, first, 
that you're anchored into Jesus and in him alone? Have you anchored yourself in Jesus? Have you denied the opportunity for others to persuade you that it is another way, not the way that Jesus, that's how you know. You've anchored into Jesus. Thanks for the offer, but I'm anchored into Jesus. That's how you know. You're living a life of faith, of Christian faith, that every decision, every action, every thought, everything orients to Christ. Second, that your hope, that your treasure, your motivation is driven by the promise of a future, not your present circumstances. You've anchored yourself to Christ and be like, no matter what happens, I'm still looking to the future. I don't care what happens now. I'm grateful for all the good things. I'm sorrowful for all the bad things. But good or bad, I'm still anchored to Christ. That's how you know that you're living a life of Christian faith. The third thing is that death isn't your motivation. The resurrection is. When you think more of the resurrection than you do about motivation for death is like, I want to live my best life now. I want to try to get everything that I can right now. That's before I die. That, that's not living a life of, of, of faith. Living a life of Christian faith is saying, no, no, no. I'm going to be resurrected. We're going to be resurrected and we're going to, we're going to see Jesus with our own eyes. And that's going to be the thing that we're living for. I'm living for that. I'm not living for, I'm not living for now. And finally, we die trusting Jesus. At the end of your days, if everyone around you and yourself can say, you don't know when the end of your days is, but that man, that woman, that child trusted Christ. We know that they did. That on your lips to the very end that you die trusting Jesus. When you get to the end of your days, if he's not returned, that you are still proclaiming your trust in Jesus and in him alone. That is Christian faith. That's the faith that Abraham had. That's the faith that we strive to have to anchor ourselves and to put our hope in Christ. That's my prayer for you as a church. Now, those four things were the cue for the musicians to come up uh, to make this an easy transition. But I'm going to pray. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you would, as a church, be rooted and anchored in Christ and in Christ alone and be a light to give the rest of Utah a picture of what it looks like to live a life of Christian faith, of biblical faith that is rooted and anchored in Christ and in Christ alone and the benefit of that, the life of confidence, the life of courage that is lived in that because you are sure that it is a true reality and you're not giving up on that. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to hold on to Christ for all of our lives. That we might be anchored in Christ and in Christ alone. Jesus, thank you that you are the anchor for our souls, that you are the assurance that we have, the reality that we have. We are so convinced that we are not going to let go of that anchor that ties us to you. And we are so grateful that, Jesus, you promised to never leave us nor forsake us. When we believe and we trust in you, that your hand with the grip of steel holds on to us and holds us fast, brings us to the very end. God, help us to be a church in this world that is filled with faith in Christ and in the resurrection and in the promises of the future. For his sake and for his glory, we pray this. Amen.